This is week two uh, of a brand new series I started last week called Asking for a Friend. And this is a series about the awkward questions that you're afraid to ask, and I want to answer it for you by the word of God. And um, week one, I talked about, uh, uh, I called it sexuality part one. I talked about, I'm losing breath because I have to rush up here. Um, I talked about um, homosexuality. And I talked about gender identity issues. And I, and I kind of flipped it a little bit because the natural tendency is to think, oh, we need to correct or bash the people who are living in sin. And, and part of it is to challenge people in that. But the, but the switch was, was it's your responsibility. Last week I said that your response is your responsibility. And then I also mentioned, um, we should stop being quiet and judgmental and then live out loud with love towards these people that are struggling with these things. So that's what I talked about for week one. And for week two, this is sexuality part two. This is where I'm going to dive deeper into sexual sin and pornography. And it's going to be a little deep today, so just, just bear with me. Um, I have always, um, not I have always, I, it's, yeah, it's, I have always, I've always seen, um, cause the stereotype is, is that only guys struggle with this. That's always been the stereotype. I kid you not, the look on your faces, some of you are like, yes, I've, I've heard that before. And some of you are like, what? Because the natural, the natural stereotype is that it's only the guy who deals with the sexual stuff. And the funny thing is, is that now the statistics have been changed since COVID. There's been a lot of changes because in isolation, when you're isolated, there's a lot more things that you can do by yourself. And so when COVID happened, a lot of that exploded for not just the male, but also for the female. And um, with that, tonight, when I talk about not just, not just, you know, I'm not just going to tell you not to do this and not to do that. I'm going to give you the why. Because the one thing that aggravates me is that we love to tell someone that sin is wrong, but we never like to tell them why sin is wrong. Because if you don't tell me why it's wrong, you know for sure I'm going to test water and see how it, if it, it, what, like, what is the why behind this sin? And tonight I want to explain it to you. I want to explain it to you in those two aspects of sexual sin and pornography. Well, the first thing I want to mention is I want to talk about the sex part. I want to talk about this. Point number one, sex is good and ordained by God in marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1 through 2 says, Now concerning the matters of which you wrote, it is good for a man not, not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation, watch this, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, yeah, I'm a little hot. I, I can, James knew. Uh, my microphone's hot. Each man, I'm not, the mic is. Okay. So each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I had to do it. So, so this scripture is telling me that if you cannot control yourself, get married. Well, Jacob, I'm a teenager and you know, I, you can't really do that, which is right. You're very, very young to get married. But the funny thing is, is that it's met for the marriage bed. Hebrews 13.4, put that up, Matt. Hebrews 13.4 says, let the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed 
be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I studied the word um, defiled. I didn't study the word undefiled. I studied the word defiled. Because Jesus says something in the Gospels where he talks about it's not something that goes in your mouth that defiles you. It's something that comes out your mouth that defiles you, which is also a cool heading to James chapter 3 where it talks about taming the tongue. And what Jesus is saying, put that scripture back up, man. What he's saying in this and what Jesus said when he means by defiled, the word defiled means something that has no value, something that has no has no worth of. That's what defiled means. So he's saying that the marriage bed, now, let me make this very, very clear. He does not just mean you having sex out of marriage with somebody. Marriage bed, which means marriage covenant, the whole thing. That means even living with somebody. It's in the same context. Marriage bed means not just the bed, but the household and who you live with. That's what he's talking about. He is saying that any people will be judged by the sexually immoral and adulterous. The funny thing is, is that living with someone that you like has become a trend now. It's been more of a trend now than I've ever seen because, because there, here are the excuses. Number one, I have no other choice. My parents are going to kick me out. That's the first choice. That's the first excuse. The second excuse is they're the only ones that care about me. I should go up to them and, and live with them because they're the only ones that care about me. And usually the third thing is, is that I'm really broke. <laughs> I'm, I'm very broke, so I want to move in with this person. What the devil is going to do with you is he's going to take a certain situation to get you to be in a place where God does not anoint. He will always do that. He will always put you in a place where just because it sounds reasonable doesn't, does not mean it's right. It could be reasonable to your agenda and to your preference, but to the will of God in your life. There was one quote that said, you can't keep sinning and expect to live in God's blessings at the exact same time. Unless there's a confession, confession of sin, etc. We know that. We know the repentance part. But the funny thing is, is that when we live in that mindset of it's reasonable, we lose the mindset of being that it's right. But not, but not even that. There's a whole, there's a whole flood of things that come with this. I'm not just talking about like if someone gets pregnant, that's, that's a whole nother story. What I mean by this is that it's not just by other people, but there would be a judgment upon you. Not just a judgment upon from others, but a judgment on yourself. That's what it does. That is the why. Part of the why is that the judgment would fall upon you. Sin is not, sin is not just wrong. There are multiple pieces of wrongs in one sin that you do. One, what it does is that it creates all of these components of doubt, fear, anxiety, depression, all these things. It starts to pull because the root can come from that. The shame that you would experience and the judgment that you would experience. Not just from other people. I'm not talking about other people because people will do that anyways because people are like that. People will do that anyways. But what I'm talking about is you. I'm talking about you. You will judge you for what you have done. And the thing is, is that the enemy likes to twist sex and take it out of the outside of the context of marriage the way that God intended it and he made it as a perversion. And 
I always say this, and it's not even just about sex. It's even about, it's about everything in your life. The devil's not smart. The devil is not an intelligent spirit. He takes everything. Think about if you think about it. He takes everything that God has created and has made it into a twisted perversion. For example, God created your emotions. Your emotions were created by God. Your happiness, the sadness, the frustration, what it's supposed to do is supposed to indicate that something's wrong. That's what emotions are for. But what the devil likes to do is like, because, because the natural thing is God has given you authority over your emotions. But the devil will like to twist and think that the emotions have authority over you. That means in your decisions. That means in how you view people. Maybe because of an event or the way you think about yourself. The devil will like to make what God intended for good, emotions, and turn it into perversion, which is I am master over what I feel. I let what I feel become my master. That's what the devil does. God created your brain. God created thoughts. God created good thoughts. Don't be afraid to think. A lot of times in church, we're taught to submit to the Lord sometimes, but sometimes I like to ask God a couple of questions. I like to ask God a couple of questions. And what it does is that you find God more when you think about him, figuring out what, God, why this and why that. There's nothing wrong with thinking. But what the enemy likes to do is the enemy likes to put anxious thoughts, inappropriate thoughts. He likes to put things in something that God created as good, and now he intends it for evil. Whatever God created, the enemy uses to twist. It's, 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 it's his natural nature. The devil does not create anything. If he does, tell me after service because I would like to know so I can tell God, hey, what's going on? You letting the devil create new stuff? Like, he does not create anything new. Nothing, the Bible says nothing is new under the sun. So that should give you comfort to know that what you're going through is nothing new that God has not seen that God has not known before, that God has not seen somebody else go through. What you go through is nothing new. But the devil wants you to think you're the only one going through it. You know how funny that is? The moment he tells you, oh, no, 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 no. Everybody does it, so it's okay. You can do it. Don't worry about it. God's going to forgive you. And then right after you do it, he's going to demote you, judge you, condemn you, and tell you that you're the only one that's done this. It's how the devil works. He wants to tell you that everybody else does it, but then when you do it, he puts you down to the point where you're the only one that does it. But the truth is everyone. Everyone has some type of sin or dysfunction they deal with. I don't care. I don't care how holy someone thinks they are because the moment I can pin, because, because this is how I do it sometimes. I'm an observer. So I can, I would love sometimes, and the Lord has to hold me back from this sometimes because I do this. I need to stop it, and I'm being vulnerable here. I would love to nitpick every single behavior that we do, even what I do. I do the same thing with myself. When I become self-critical of myself, I start to be self I start to be critical of other people. So if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to look at somebody else and see, wow, what they are doing is the worst. And I observe. Because the one thing about control is that you are focused. If you can't control you, you have to take control of something. So I got to control somebody else. So if I can't control myself, I will learn to control the person on the side of the chair beside me. That 
is what happens with the sex part. When God, when God tells you that this is what it is, like how I just told you the why of why you shouldn't, it's not because to not let you go out and be wild and free like a teenager. That's not what this, that's not what this is about. This is about the momentum of a decision that you would make. Decisions have a momentum. Any decision you make, a decision to think, a decision to say something, a decision to take action, creates a momentum to impact something. That's a decision. That's why God, when, when we go to him, it's a choice. He doesn't just throw himself on, 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 our, on our plate on a silver platter. That's not what he does. He gives us the decision to do it. He gives us the decision to choose him as well as he gives us the decision to sleep with that person we really like. He gives us the decision. There's a momentum to your decision. And not to put pressure, but like I just said, whatever decision, like it's like, it's like when you graduate, when you graduate college, whatever decision you make is going to be the momentum of your life because it's a decision you make. And it's the same thing with this. If your decision has momentum, that means it's going to impact something that is not good. I want to say the second point. Sex is protected as a God-honoring marital act, not for our entertainment and impatience. (laughs) This is, it's to protect us for a marital act. Not because we're impatient or for a type of entertainment that we get to have. Because I've learned something, and it's the scripture. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust, is like the Gentiles who do not know God. So when I read that, I thought to myself, if y'all remember when I preached about tell the truth and shame the devil, I talked about um, your heavenly father and your father the devil. I talked about that. And I talked about it in the lie context. But your flesh and your spirit wage war against your soul all the time. Between the Holy Spirit and your flesh and your desires and what you want, there's always a war that's raged. There's always a war. You will either choose something that is of God or you will choose something that is of what, not just what you desire, but maybe somebody else pressuring you to do something that you think you want to desire. That is the waging of the war. Is when, are you listening to your heavenly father for his, for your true satisfaction? Or are you trying to take it from what you think your flesh would need? And to be honest with you, if, if you would know the whys and the non-benefits that it would bring outside of the context of what marriage is, then it would be a problem. You would be far more beneficial and better off in that. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you. I don't know how to say this word. Somebody say it for me. Sojourners. Okay, I got it right. Sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against 
your soul. I'm going to pick up that same context in just a little bit because there's an answer to combat this because there's something about sexual sin that you actually cannot combat. You can't combat it. But I'm going to get to that answer in the end. The next segment I want to talk about is pornography. And I relate to this one because even throughout, and I've talked about this before, throughout my teenage years, I've always struggled with lust and pornography for a very, very long time. And something about this fight that I had with this particular problem comes something that God showed me when I got set free and revealed in this. My next point is the world perverts what God calls good. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, covetousness, sorry, which is idolatry. Thank you. Our earthly nature leans into sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. Sex from God's perspective is moral, pure, and beautiful when experienced in the right context. It's all about context. If the context is marriage, then God sees it as moral, pure, and beautiful. But what the devil likes to do is he likes to take it and make it twisted, vulgar, and inappropriate. And he destroy and the thing about pornography, and it, and I have listen, y'all, I have a very hate relationship with this type of struggle because I've been through it. And the and the biggest thing is is that. It destroys purity. I'm not talking about physical. That's not what pornography does. Pornography doesn't destroy physical purity. It destroys your mental purity, your emotional purity. So a lot of times your spiritual purity. The devil uses it specifically because it attacks the visual. It attacks your view on everything. It attacks your view. Sex, from God's perspective, is moral. It's good. But pornography has destroyed that view. Same thing with sexual sin. It celebrates perversion and produces dissatisfaction. Because in your head you think, oh, it's going to produce good satisfaction. No. Because the funny thing is about these types of things is that you have to keep running and running towards this stuff over and over and over, trying to fight it over and over and over, trying to walk your way out of it over and over and over until it's you're like a slave to it. I want to shift this message. Maybe you don't do it because it just is great or it's something that whatever, whatever you think of sex and pornography, whatever that is. Maybe, and the Lord revealed this to me, maybe, just maybe. You do it, not because it's just great from what the world says, but maybe you do it because it meets certain needs. Has sexual sin been a need a need meter in your life? Has it been something that is satisfying you for a moment, but, but at the end you just feel even more dry? Or you feel even more excluded? Or you feel even more alone? You feel even more isolated? Because this is what pornography does. I'm going to be honest. 
at the time, I was exposed to pornography at 11. 11. 11. A lot of the times it's even exposed even more at this age now. But back then I was 11. And when I, when I saw it, I ran out the house. And like, I literally like went outside. We had like this, uh, I was, I was, yeah, I was 11 at the time. And it was, we had this little set and I went on the swing and I can remember it like it was yesterday because that's what the devil does. He likes to take moments like that and to seal you with that so that you can still be a slave. So I'm sitting there, saw it for the first time, freaked me out. I felt a certain way that I've never felt before and all this stuff. But, and I knew it was wrong, but something was pulling me back into my house. Something was really pulling me back to look at it again. And it was like there was a there was this chain or a rope that was pulling me towards back into my house as I was trying to go back. And that was at the moment where I started to really enjoy it. And I started to like it. Three years down that I'm struggling with this, it's not just a liking anymore. It became a need. Like I need it. It wasn't just something that I could just pop on every once in a while. I would wake up in the morning thinking I needed it because it fulfilled something that God was supposed to fulfill. And so I lived for three to four years, most of my teenage years. And look, y'all, I was in church. I was in fusion. I was a, I'm a Christian. And that whole walk, it became a need. When I was... Depressed, I ran to it. When I was anxious, I ran to it. When I was hurting, I ran to it. It was like a, a drug that you would take, like a pill to take away the anxiety or the depression or whatever. It was a pull. I pulled towards it. When I was happy, when I celebrated everything, it was put in front of God. And the power of the freedom that I started to experience wasn't that I conquered it. It sounds very, very like, like, oh, you're like, it's almost like a, a Weenie Hut Jr. type thing, like you're a chicken. You're not supposed to fight it. This is my last point, y'all. Don't fight, flee. Don't fight it. Flee from it. This is what I wanted to talk about as I end this. It's very early, but I'm going to end it. Sexual sin is the only sin in Scripture that God calls us to run away from. There's no other sin that tells us to flee. All the other sins we can combat with the Holy Spirit. But I'm like, okay, but if we have the Holy Spirit, why can't we combat sexual sin? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20 says this, and Paul makes it very, very clear. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, watch this, is outside the body. But sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's the answer. That's why you can't fight it. That's why you keep running back to it and not being able to conquer it because it sins against your own body. 
Because watch this. What's the next verse? You're a temple. You're a temple. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. What's in your temple? What sits in your house? I'm not talking about the physical house that you live in. I'm talking about what lives in your house. What lives in you? The burning of the Holy Spirit that can help you and discern you and guide you and walk you through? Or is it your own desires in your own house? Because we got to stop blaming the devil. Sometimes it's us. We got to stop saying, oh, no, oh, the, 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 the devil's doing it. No, the battery's burnt. You didn't charge the batteries. Charge the batteries. It's not the devil. Oh, the devil, the devil got me in a wreck. No, you were on your phone. You weren't paying attention. We got to stop blaming the devil for some things that sometimes it's our decision. Sometimes it's ours. And that's the thing. Because the world teaches us to be perfect, when we get corrected, we can't receive it because we're taught to be perfect. But last time I checked, I was human. Last time I checked, I couldn't get it all together. Last time I checked, I didn't know what the right words to say to that person. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can't. And sometimes... And it's, I know I'm on that subject of the sexual part, but everything in our life, we will always make mistakes. And here's the problem with lust and pornography. It throws shame on you. You feel so much shame. Not from other people. You feel it in you. Nobody has told you anything. But I don't know, is this just me? Because like when I, like nobody tells me because nobody knows. But then when I did it, I felt it in me. I felt it in my own body. Why? Because he said, put that verse back up, Matt. This is where it all makes sense. That's why you feel the shame. That's why you feel the depression. That's why you feel the hurt. Go back. Yeah. Go back. No, go back again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Matt. Sins against his own body. So that tells me that nobody has to tell me how bad of a mistake I made. I did it myself. I did it myself. How crazy is that? Nobody had to tell me that there was shame on me. It was already there. It was already there. Sin against my own body. Go to that last verse, Matt. I think there's one, there's a last verse. What about the price? Yeah, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your own body. The main goal of how to fight this, and maybe there's someone that you know that you can tell about this. When this comes on a podcast, share it with somebody because somebody knows what they are going through and they feel shame and they feel by themselves. But here's the, here's the, here's the picker upper. When I said flee, my first question is, okay, what do I flee to? What do I flee towards? I'm fleeing from it. He tells me to flee and run away from it. Like Joseph did in, in, in Genesis, he ran away because he was being tempted. What do I run to? 
we all know the answer, but we don't sometimes like the answer because we feel like it doesn't work. Oh, I know I'm supposed to run to God. I know it. I already know. You don't have to tell me, Jacob. I already know. I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about that. When you know who you are, you know you can run to the Father without any second thoughts. When you know you need to run and get off that computer, get off, throw the phone across the room, get out of that bed with somebody you're not supposed to be with, and run towards your father. Run towards him. What does this mean? Get out of the situation and get in prayer with him. That's where it comes from. That's where your freedom comes from. Not from trying to watch all these TED Talks. Not just trying to watch all these sermon preachers say, oh, this is how you beat it. Not just all of these filters you have to put on the internet. It shouldn't be that difficult. But it is. But the freedom that you can experience is running to your father. Now, the last thing I want to say. And maybe you experience this too. You're always told, run to the Father, run to the Father. Yeah, that's great. But I never had a picture of who God was. Never had a picture of who God was. I thought if I went back to him, I would get an earful. Yeah. I thought I would get an earful. Because that's what I've always seen God like. But there's a scripture, and I don't have it. I just thought of it. When Jesus talked about the prodigal son, it's a perfect story for this situation in your life. If you feel shame of what you've done, what you did last night, what the things that you've been doing, this is where the Father sees you. This is where the Father sees you. What's funny is that the son left, and the Father gave him the inheritance, and he left. The Father didn't fight. The father didn't barge. He didn't try to win him back. He let him do what he, because look, the momentum of your decisions. He did it. He walked and he did his own thing. He spent his own money. He did whatever. And then he came to his senses as he was feeding with the pigs and he lost all his money and whatever. So, So what happened is that he was going to go back, but he didn't see himself as a son. If you read the scriptures, and I challenge you to read the scriptures of it, where it talks about the prodigal son, he called himself a slave. He called himself a slave. He didn't see himself as a son. He saw himself as a slave. And so he went back. He practiced the speech. I felt that. Like you have to give an explanation to the person that you felt like you wronged and, and now you got to go back and try to make men's, make men's meet. And he's making the speech because he doesn't know how his father is going to react. He doesn't know. It wasn't until he went there. It wasn't until he really went back to his father And this is where God passes all of our expectations of what we think about him. Because he's expecting to not be accepted. He's expected to be a slave. Because that's who he thinks 
his father's like. But something powerful happens. Can I get you on the keys, Rachel? This is something that happens that's so powerful. The father sees him, y'all, it's beautiful. He sees him from a distance. The father saw him from a distance. The beautiful thing is he wasn't, the son wasn't even close yet. He was still a distance away. He was still far. But the father saw him from a distance. And that's some of y'all need to hear that because your father sees you from a distance. And what did he do? The scripture says that he ran towards the sun. In that culture, y'all don't understand this. In that culture, the, the father in that type of Hebrew culture, he wasn't supposed to run. It was actually more of an embarrassment for the father to run towards the son that walked away because he was supposed to stand there and judge his own son. But when you know your father, when you know who God is, not by what people have told you, and let me be honest, sometimes not by what church or what your parents have said. It's by what you have experienced. And he thought his father was going to reject him. And it was beautiful. He ran. And he loved on him. And he kissed him. And he embraced him. And he said, Father, I'm unworthy of being your son. Y'all. He said, get my best robe. Get my best robe. I'm supposed to be a slave. I'm supposed to be away from you because of the stuff that I've done. But he said, no. He said, get the best robe kill the fattest calf we're celebrating when you come back to your father he's not going to judge you matter of fact he's going to celebrate with you he's going to celebrate with you because you have done some stuff that you won't even tell the person on your row about but he said come to me come to me I don't care what you've heard about me I am yours and you are mine, the Lord says. You are my child. And I am your father. Something I thought of, I've made this illustration before. And when I have future kids, because obviously I want to be a dad, and What would, if my child made a mistake? It's not that the mistake is what broke me. The mistake would be the fact that they didn't tell me about it. And I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to talk to them about it and walk them through it. Some of y'all are afraid of what God's going to say if you go back to Him from the stuff that you've done. 
He wants you to know, I've been waiting for you to tell me. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to tell me. My door has always been open. My arms have always been out for you. And I've waited for you to come back around to walk back. Yeah, you've done some stuff. Maybe you feel some shame. You feel worthless because of the people you've slept with. You've felt the shame of the stuff that you've seen. You don't... But... It's so beautiful. I don't know if y'all like being seen. Sometimes I do. I don't say it. I'm a man. I don't need to be seen. I don't need to be seen. But to be seen, you feel good about something about yourself when you're seen. I'm going to tell you right now, nothing is... Stop laughing, please. There's something great about being seen by your father. Because when you are seen by him, there's a greater satisfaction when you're seen by him. There's a greater satisfaction that is greater than pornography. There's a greater satisfaction and is greater than trying to sleep with someone. It's a greater satisfaction. Trust me, it's a gift from God, but not in the context of what you think it is. God is saying, Let me satisfy you. Let me give you the life that you need. And it's not physical, y'all. He's not talking about that. He's talking about in your spirit. He wants to satisfy your spirit because that's the point of being a Christian is letting the flesh die in order for the spirit to thrive. That's the point. That's the point. Is that for your spirit to thrive... Sometimes your flesh has to die. And what you thought about yourself needs to leave because what your father says is far greater than what you have said or seen from others. It's far greater. So ask yourself the question tonight. Do I know my father? Because I've been dealing with all this stuff and I felt like he hasn't been near I feel like he hasn't been close. It's time that you run back to your father. It's time you go back to that moment because for some of us, we don't spend time with God during the week and that's not a religious thing. I'm not saying that you're condemned because you don't spend time with God. I think it is that you're condemned because you have not brought what you needed to bring to him. And now you have to carry that condemnation and you have to carry that shame and you're not supposed to. Bible says that if I will come boldly to the throne of grace, he is faithful and just to forgive it. You know what the, you know what that means? Second chances. Free refills. Free refills. When I go to him and confess it to him, it's a free refill. I know the stuff I've done, but it's a free refill. His mercies are new every morning. And it's hard for you to hear that because of the shame that you feel. 
But if you would take a moment and go to your father about it and to tell him what you've been going through and what you've been trying to carry, he is willing to take the weight of all of it. And he's willing to give it to you. He's willing to give you the grace. He's willing to give you the joy. He's willing. But you have to go to him. You can't just expect it to just be great. He has given you what? A decision. He's given you a choice. If you know you're his child, you would go to him. If you knew who you were in him, you would run to him without any second thoughts. Yeah, I messed up, but I have a big God. He's a big boy. He can handle my stuff. He can handle my stuff. Remember when I talked about the grace space? Remember that? It's not just for frustrations. It's for mistakes too. It's for both. His grace gives you so much space because when you make a mistake, if you can bring it to him, then you're clean. You're made new. You're made whole. So don't fight this. Don't fight the sexual sin. Don't try to conquer it. Neither do not accept it. Run to your father for true redemption and satisfaction. With every head bowed and every eye closed, pray a special prayer over you tonight who are feeling shame yes this message is about the sex part and the pornography part yeah that's part of the story but this message is really about shame being broken off of you that's what it's about So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would release your spirit of grace over everyone in this room that has made certain mistakes that they feel like they can't take back or the mistakes of others that they try to carry. I pray that you would give them the grace and the forgiveness as they come to you this is the challenge y'all the only way you can experience that is when you go back that means you gotta confess and you gotta get real with God and tell him what's been going on so father we tell you what's been going on we tell you all the things that we've been dealing with we tell you all the things that we have been fighting against and we ask Lord that you would pull this shame off because you're that type of God. You're you're good enough to see the things that we do right, but you're also good of a God enough, a good of a Father, to see past the things that we do wrong when we come and confess. So Father, we confess our sins towards you. And we know and we are confident to know that you are just and merciful to forgive that what I've thought about you from before needs to end the way that I've seen you through through other 
words and opinions and doctrines about you, Lord. I know that that's not you. I know that you, that your arms are open, that your story of the prodigal son is a perfect example of who you are. When I come running back, you're there. I don't deserve it, but you still stand there every time. And Lord, some of us have experience of people leaving us for the things that we've done. But Lord, you have been there the whole time. You have been there the whole time waiting for us to come back. So I thank you, Lord, for your redemptive heart, your redemptive spirit. Thank you for your compassion that you would send Jesus to die instead of me. That I didn't have to pay for the mistakes. I don't have to pay for the sin that I've made if I'm in you because of what Jesus did. Let us never forget. Lord, I pray that every student and every leader and every person in this room would remember salvation on their life. That Lord, salvation is a gift that I could have been living in shame a lot more dangerously and forever in my life, and I could have been completely separated from you, but you have accepted me because you rejected your son. Christ was rejected so that I can be accepted. Thank you, Lord, for salvation, that if we know what salvation really is, we'll know to go to you when we make a mistake. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Lord, even when we make a mistake, we can still go to you. Even if we did it and we could have prevented it, you're still willfully just and righteously just to forgive. We thank you, Lord, for your infinite grace and your almighty sovereignty to let your son be the death so that we can live in life. Thank you, Lord, for what you're showing us. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us. And thank you, Lord, for redeeming us as your children and for you to be our father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.